This is Mike Roth. Welcome to the Open Forum in the Villages podcast. In this show, we're going to talk to leaders in the community, leaders of clubs, and interesting folks who live here in the villages to give perspective of what's happening here in the villages and information that I think all villagers should have. We hope to add a new episode most Fridays at 9 o'clock. We are making a change soon. All of our shows will be distributed by a single podcast syndicator, Buzzsprout, both the old shows and the new show. We are also changing our subscription plans. Now you will be a supporter by simply making a subscription, subscribing via Buzzsprout. You can make a contribution of any amount that you'd like. We'd suggest $3 a month. If that's too much for your budget, you can pay less or If you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to see us continue, you can pay more. This is going to be a subscriber-supported podcast. We are making this conversion to make it easier for everybody. And all of the subscriber-only episodes that were available on Apple Podcasts will now be converted to the Buzzsprout channel, and everyone can go ahead and listen to those. This is Mike Roth. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Open Forum in the Villages. We're going to continue our conversation with new material with Frank Lancone. So let's take it away. Frank, earlier you mentioned that you have a family website. Could you tell our listeners about what the organization is of the family website from your perspective? It's something that is not that hard to do, and it's something I think a lot of people should consider. When we were going on this trip, we wanted a place to be able to communicate with our friends and family. But we didn't think it was the best thing to put on Facebook that uh, that we were going to be gone for three months. It's sort of like a kick me sign uh, or a come rob me sign. Yes. And even if you try to limit the number of people, it's just not a good thing because you don't know how stuff is posted. So I chartered through GoDaddy a website. And I used it primarily for the trip. Mm-hmm. Well, I really got into writing blogs and I really got into posting my pictures there mm-hmm. and it was totally locked down and when I got home I opened it up so anybody could see it then I started adding my clubs so I have web pages for my clubs I used to be on Facebook I sort of haven't done much with Facebook in the last two years uh, but I did use it for posting poems and so I had a lot of poems on Facebook I took those off Facebook and put them on my personal website, and that has now revolved into a book of poetry with a hundred poems. And my wife and I are celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary mm-hmm. in uh, June of 2022, so this coming June. So I have a tab called Half Century, and I plan to put, I'm going to have a little party, I plan to put the video of that party up. So what happens is you start to build the story of your life. In the Writers Leaving the Villages, there's many people in our age group We've decided, when I'm gone, what will be left? What will my kids know about me? What will my grandkids know about me? Austerity. Yeah, and I, you know, I love my grandpa. He, my dad, and I worked on the farm on weekends, and it was just great. And he died when I was 14. I don't really remember as much as I wish I did about him, and I love him. Mm-hmm. He was a part of my life. I walked a quarter mile to get to the house to see him. But I don't know what he thought about things. I don't remember what he did personally. I don't know about the parts of his life that I was too young to understand. So I think, so people come to the Writers League and they get in the memoir groups. So I think of the website as a kind of a living memoir 
a memoir where you're actually documenting things and sharing things along the way. But, Frank, I did want to point out to our listeners something that, that you brought up that actually is a problem. I'm just going to pick on Facebook. You said you deleted some content from Facebook. In fact, you, you may have deleted it from the current version of Facebook today or whatever the day was that you did that. But Frank, did you know there's a, a website, a series of websites called History of the Web? No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the, there are sites that track websites, and you can turn the clock back in history, and you can see a website from 2001, let's say. Everything that was available on the web on that particular day. So, so now we're into a new topic, and that is, in this world, who are you? Because in the world our grandparents grew up, you were always you. If you were an author, you wrote a book. Right. Maybe you had an essay that you wrote or some little scrap that you sent. Maybe you kept cards from family. But today, you are the you that's physical and the you that has every electronic signature you've ever made. I find it interesting to get online and find they know every address I've ever been at. Yes, our personal information has uh, transcended going beyond the real web to the black web to being sold and resold. Now that's, can't do anything about that. Now, that's the negative. I'm going to emphasize the Mike Roth positive. The positive is that if you want to go back and see what the history was, you can actually turn back the clock. People can change their websites. I think there's another positive. Mm-hmm. For the first time, you get some say over your publicity, if you will. Mm-hmm. In other words, all lives have challenges, mm-hmm. and all lives have rewarding and wonderful things. So... You get to show those pictures of your grandkids. You get to talk about what you learned from a cross-country trip. Mm-hmm. You get to post a love poem to your wife. And having it on your own website, to a great degree, you can control who sees it. Yes. That's interesting. I'm writing love poems to my wife on the eve of our 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering when my grandkids get to be in their 50s if they'll wonder, gee, I wonder what grandpa would <laughs> And, and so I, they get to see who I was. Yes. For better or worse. For better or worse. And if, if you want your website to continue beyond your own demise, you should probably have to pay to have your website mm-hmm. uh, posted, your, your domain name carried forward. Uh, you have to put that into your, uh, your will with an executor's amount of money set aside so that every year, every two years or every three years, uh, your executor pays the website company, the hosting company, and pays the website domain registrar to keep your domain name active. So I think there's some, uh, there's probably some other methodologies that will go forward, like you talked about the history of the internet. Mm-hmm. You can also um, publish electronically, and you'll be a part of a, a catalog that's available forever. I don't think Amazon drops books. I think they just dropped them in their listing. So once you're published on Amazon, those books are probably always in their electron file. I never thought of that, but that's probably true. Yeah. There's also the Library of Congress. You uh, store a book in the Library of Congress, it becomes part of a permanent file. Mm-hmm. So I think I think for the first time... The book, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, your website, that's another story. Websites you have to make a provision for. If you want it to continue long, long after you're gone. You have to come up with a way to keep it out there. 
and you have to make a decision whether you want it to be publicly accessible or accessible by a limited group of people, which is uh, something new in our society. Usually people could write what they wanted to be on their epitaph on their tombstone. However, now we have a scenario where I have a friend, Ed, who died about 10 years ago, and Ed's still listed on Facebook. Of course, they actually want you to have an executive. Mm -hmm. Now they do. Originally, they didn't. Ed died before that requirement. <laughs> and, and I don't know whether it's his mom or, or someone, someone else that has, has kept with Ed's uh, informational. And that's something that I think in our later years we really need to address. So um, you're opening up a very interesting topic of discussion. There was a person by the name of William Gibson, very, very popular science fiction writer, about 20 years ago, or more, this would be in the early to mid-90s, he started putting out books. It was just when the internet was coming in. Books like The Mona Lisa Overdrive. And what he did as a science fiction writer was he jumped into the future and conceptualized a world in which people had an online life after their physical food. And so he thought all about the implications of that, what what it was like, what the person was trying to do. And so they existed on the internet after their physical life had gone away. Now, sound like anything to you? Does it by any chance sound like the metaverse that the founder of uh, Facebook has talked about? Yes, it, it really is. Uh, I'm going to call it the beginning of another chapter. And with artificial intelligence, they can add more and more. And what's interesting about that is, so in the Zoom world, right, we all Zoom for two years. Mm -hmm. Now, suppose that instead of Zoom, you were in the metaverse and uh, you decided, you know, I don't really want to have my picture up there. I want to have my avatar up there. I'm going to have a picture of a gorilla up there. I'm the big gorilla in this meeting, and I'm going to have a picture of a gorilla up there. And that's going to be me. So this whole thing of who am I? Who am I? Where am I? And how am I going to be happy? And, you know, I'm living now physically. How do I live on yeah. in terms of my digital presence after me? Right. I think we all did too many zooms. And, you know, I created a whole library of backgrounds beyond the standard ones that they, they offer. You know, I could be on Starship Enterprise or in uh, Young Sheldon's living room. And even in Zoom, they gave you the ability to change your facial appearance. Yes, to darken your eyebrows, to put a mustache on, to put a beard on, to change some colors, and that was the beginning. Uh, Zoom also had the ability to put on hats. I remember that. I, I have a picture of me with a turkey hat on. Well, in our improvisational theater club, we have a great routine that's tremendously funny called Questions with Hats. And in improv, the players are instructed never to ask questions of another player on stage because that puts pressure on the other player and doesn't make them look good. But in the hat scene, they have to ask questions about the character represented by the hat that they're wearing or uh, the hat that the other player is wearing. Well, we do public performances, large stage shows. Next one is October 28th. And we do club performances. Over one of the, the, the smaller venues, uh, we, we bought a symbol 
So we could do, you know, a uh, hit the snare drum and then hit the cymbal, a rim shot. And the club owns a cymbal. And so we were doing this, this the questions with hat scene. And one of the villagers had a 22-year-old daughter who's studying improv in college. And she gets up to play in this questions with hat scene. And at the bottom of the box of hats is the symbol. And she puts the symbol on the top of her head. I love it. And she says for her line, do I look symbol-minded? <laughs> Always a lot of fun. Uh, improv meets on Monday evenings from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Rowan, the first floor Mondays of the month. And if you're interested, go out to the web and look at thevillagesimprov.com and you get the whole picture of what Rome does. So I have to go back to your discussion on Zoom for a second. In um, January of 2020, the villages pretty much closed off the rec centers. And there are five or six discussion clubs, the Philosophy Club, the Free Thinkers Club, uh, the Humanist Club, Civil Discourse Central, Civil Discourse South, Science and Technology. There's, there's more, but it's a very rich mix of people who like to put together informative TED-type talks, deliver those, and then getting into meaningful discussion with the audience. And people find that very rewarding. I would compare it to the old Royal Society talks in Britain where somebody would write a scholarly paper and deliver it just to provoke discussion and try to add to understanding. Well, all these clubs face the same thing. We're now isolated. We can't be face-to-face. What do we do? I believe it was the free thinkers or the humans, maybe the humanists was the first club to start with Zoom, trying to do some Zoom broadcasts and make that available. Our club, um, Civil Discourse Central and Civil Discourse South, we we were not the first, but we were probably within the first three clubs to do that. And we saved the clubs. Yeah. And to a large percent, to, uh, to a large extent, we also saved our members. We would get, we had a license that topped out at 100 people in the first couple of months. We would get close to 100 people on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. But over time, People got zoomed out. Absolutely. They got zoomed out. Now, Especially on those bigger meetings. Yes. I well, mean, the village improv club, during the times that Rex Centers were closed down for about 18 months, uh, we had all of our meetings online, which turned out to be exceptionally positive. They were good meetings, but they also allowed the villagers who were snowbirds to participate, right? which is difficult if the meeting is live. So we... We learned a couple of things out of that. First, we pushed Zoom, I won't say to its limits, but we exploited everything we could out of it. So we would have, let's say on an average day, 70 people on that in the first half of that that year. We would uh, have the presentation, and we would do a poll, an electronic poll, so people could could participate. Mm -hmm. Then we would use the breakout feature to break them into small groups where they could talk, Mm-hmm. Then we would bring them back, and then we would use the raise your hand feature for people to ask questions back and forth. So we tried to duplicate a lot of the two-way dialogue that you would get in a face-to-face session. We were pretty successful with that, and people appreciated that during that period of time when they didn't feel they could actually get out of their house. The reason that we have both the Civil Discourse Central and the Civil Discourse South is that pre-pandemic, uh, if you were to go back about five years ago, at 
when you came to the Civil Discourse Club meeting at Chicago, okay. yeah. it'd be 110 seats and 170 people in line. Mm. And people would wait. You couldn't get in. It was very frustrating. So we had a similar situation up at Savannah. We were repeating the same talks in Savannah. Yeah. That's led to us saying, you know what, we need to get a club down south. And so um, the, the Southern Club's a little different. But when we approached John Rohan, we went with a technology vision that said, here's what the future looks like. You're in that room, but you're using some sort of software to broadcast off-site too. That allows snowbirds to participate. It allows shut-ins to participate. People who are in, let's say, a memory care unit that used to know. Um, it allows somebody who's visually impaired to watch it on their phone so they can blow it up to the size of it. It allows us to take those sessions and create a knowledge repository. Most of the clubs have abandoned Zoom broadcasts now. But so the Civil Discourse South have continued That's a lot of work to do a simultaneous Zoom broadcast. But it allows me to take the session. And on my website, I have a repository of past talk. So we're building a very rich knowledge base. So you can be anywhere in the country at any time and, and see a talk. So if you have live people in the room, how many people do you have in the room? Yeah, we're rebuilding the club because I was gone three months. So we, we'll get like between 15 and 25, depending on the street. So you have the computer camera pointed at the people in the room? Nope, pointed at the speaker. Pointed at the speaker. And the slides are being shown. So at the same time, we might have anywhere between 20 and 35 online people. So it's a, a talk could be, let's say, 25 to 30, or it could be 50 people combined in the room and simultaneous views. Mm -hmm. Then it's on the website and you'll get subsequent views. That, that, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I've toyed with that and used it in the M. Benz Club, Mercedes Benz Club, you're going to go these four board of directors meetings when, when I didn't do that. I wasn't going to have a talk, and it works to some. It work, had worked to some degree, and I found it to be less than perfect. Let me go a different way. It depends on what the intellectual content is. Mm -hmm. Suppose Mercedes-Benz sent an engineer to speak to the. Well, that would be a speaker, and it's easier. Yeah. When you had well, it's just the intellectual content is it. Somebody would actually tune in to say, "Boy, if this guy's going to tell us what the new engine's going to be like, I want to hear that." Mm -hmm. Not so much for. <laughs> For a board meeting, although if we were deciding something important, they might. Yeah, we did. We got more people to come to the meeting during the periods that we were doing it. But in terms of saving the results beyond the, taking the minutes out of what happened, we didn't. We just we. In fact, even in the improv club, for the most part, I believe we destroyed all of the video recordings of the meetings that we had. Good. Frank, thanks for joining us today for this bonus episode. And our listeners who want to sign up for bonus episodes, you'll find that as a button at the bottom of the BuzzFeed uh, feed for the show, as well as over on Apple iTunes Podcast. Thanks again for being part of the show, Frank. Thank you. We are making a change soon. All of our shows will be distributed by a single podcast syndicator, Buzzsprout, both the old shows and the new show. We are also changing our subscription plans. Now you will be a supporter by simply making a subscription, subscribing via Buzzsprout. You can make a contribution 
of any amount that you'd like. We'd suggest $3 a month. If that's too much for your budget, you can pay less or if you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to see us continue, you can pay more. This is going to be a subscriber-supported podcast. We are making this conversion to make it easier for everybody. And all of the subscriber-only episodes that were available on Apple Podcasts will now be converted to the Buzzsprout channel, and everyone can go ahead and listen to those. Remember, our next episode will air live Friday at 9 a.m., or should I say pre-recorded, but that's when it will be released on our regular subscriptions. Bonus subscribers can get early access to episodes. Should you want to become a sponsor of the show, contact me at MikeRoth at RothVoice.com. If you know someone that you think should be on the show, send me an email at Mike at RothVoice.com. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. The content of the show is copyright by Roth Voice 2023, all rights reserved.